Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Bliss Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz, episode 399. Oscar Lopez in the house today. We're going to have a big show, two hours jam-packed. We've got three guests on the, on the slate today. Plus, we're going to have the uh, backseat coach, Mark Simone, here in the uh, about 30 minutes or so. And then we're going to dive into the hour number two with the NFL, NFL week that happened mm-hmm. in this weekend. And that would be with the uh, salty one, Mackenzie Brooks, and Nate Ward coming in here to give us the breakdown in the NFL. So two hours jam-packed of the, of the Blitz. Uh, don't forget to go to Monkey Night Fight, especially right now with NFL and, and NBA happening all season long. Monkey Night Fight, use the code NJF, get started today, get your $5 free play, and get started. Uh, more or less is my play, so if you can guess and you have good intuition, you can make pretty much $15 of our $5 free play that we're going to give you as well. So go to monkeynightfight.com, use the code NJF, JF and get started today. Uh, we're not going to have our co- the coach Terry Lister this week, so uh, you know we'll probably come back here in a couple weeks. Uh, but other than that, uh, thanks to him for coming in here in the last couple weeks and giving us a lowdown on everything that's happening in terms of college football, as well as the really really cool insights. And I know everybody appreciated him, him being here. Uh, he's a little occupied with a lot of other things in his uh, world right now. So as soon as he gets freed up, he'll be chiming in week to week. So more than likely the new year. But thanks to him for coming in and uh, giving us the lowdown. Check out his podcast, uh, TL uh, Talks Podcast. Uh, you can go right there, Terry Lister on Facebook. You can get uh, pretty much the lowdown on everything that he does over on his podcast as well. Uh, we're going to d- dive in today into this historical book. Um, and Mark Simone had talked about it in, a, in the last couple podcasts as well. Uh, we're going to chat with Hail Mary, Hail Mary uh, book authors, uh, Brittany De La Creta and Lindsay uh, D. Carangelo on the historical moments in women's football in the 70s, including the Toledo Troopers. Uh, we're also going to chat with NFL flag ambassador Steph Jackson on the growth of the sport so far uh, and upcoming events for the new year. And uh, also talk about her book, No More Drops, the only fo- uh, football manual you'll ever need. Uh, plus, Mark will be here in about 30 minutes or so, and we'll dive into the international news with Austria Women's Final. Congratulations to the Vienna Viking ladies uh, winning against the Salzburg Ducks. And Queens Football League Week 10, we're going to dive into Mexico LaFay semifinals, and the finals are set right there for LaFay on the 11th side. And Gridiron West Week 5, also we're going to dive into. Uh, we're going to just kind of go into the college football Week 11 recap right now and kind of give you an, uh, an idea of where the college football playoff situation is uh, at this point. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see the uh, poll came out, uh, and it was basically uh, Georgia and Ohio State pretty much uh, – they look like they're going to pretty much win out their final three games and locking up the spots in the college football playoffs. And then after that, it gets a little bit dicey. Cincinnati is in, is in a strong position with an undefeated record, even though it's, uh, people are questioning, obviously, the strength of schedule. Uh, the Bearcats, however, need some help. So a loss by either the Ducks 
or the Crimson Tide uh, would make the field. The good news for the Bearcats is the Ducks and Crimson Tide have difficult roads ahead. Oregon will face Utah on the road this week and likely again in the Pac-12 title game. There's also rival uh, Oregon State put in between that. Alabama travels to Auburn, and then they must beat Georgia in the SEC title game. So there's uh, obstacles right there for them. Um, What we have here, it seems more likely both teams end up losing, putting the Bearcats comfortably in as a maybe third seed and creating some controversy around the fourth spot. So the possibilities or uh, dilemmas, if you want to consider it, a one-loss Notre Dame, a two-loss Alabama after a close game against Georgia, a two-loss Oregon as a Pac-12 champion, a one-loss Big 12 champion, either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, a one-loss Wake Forest as an and so some of the scenarios there. None of the none of the groups have a clear case, or none of these teams have a clear case with each having uh, significant flaws in the you know obviously in their season. This is where I think the committee has to sort out uh, so much of big-time scenario with that at, with that large teams and conference champions in itself. Um, Alabama testing Georgia would probably be enough to land the last spot even if they're going to be, you know, obviously criticized and perceived as, uh, like uh, Terry had said last week, SEC bias. And so the committee clearly is going to favor Alabama, as shown by its number two ranking, even though they have, you know, haven't shown to be any better this year than they were uh, last year. They were kind of taking a dive there. Would they really drop three places, pushing, uh, pushing out, the, the, obviously, the number one, which is Georgia, threatening that? slide, which I doubt the committee will slide them, but if they do, that's going to be kind of eye-opening and a first, probably, for a lot of people. Uh, Oklahoma's loss pushed the Sooners down into the New York's uh, New Year's Six group this week, so they will be in conjunction with Wake Forest, uh, Michigan, okay? Uh, falling out are going to be Penn State and North Carolina State, and so uh, Notre Dame, so the way it looks right now, December 31st, uh, Orange Bowl at the college football playoff semifinals, it would be at this point as it stands right now, uh, Georgia versus Alabama. It would be Ohio State versus Cincinnati. Okay. And then it would be, um, see here, uh, what did I say, Georgia. So semifinals would be somewhat of a scenario of, Georgia versus Ohio State, as an example. Uh, it would be Ohio State versus Cincinnati, and then you get the, the two breakdowns. Uh, on the 30th at the Peach Bowl, um, the projections currently are Wake Forest will take on Notre Dame. Then in the, it'll be the Big Ten versus the Pac-12 in the Rose Bowl, and you were looking at Michigan versus Oregon. And then as it stands for the Sugar Bowl, it would be Big 12 versus SEC, and that would include Oklahoma versus Mississippi. And the Fiesta Bowl, it would be Oklahoma State versus uh, Brigham Young. And then on January 4th, it would be Texas Bowl. Uh, It would be West Virginia versus Mississippi State. Uh, The Outback Bowl, Big Ten versus versus SEC. Iowa versus Kentucky. Uh, You got the Citrus Bowl. uh, Michigan State versus Texas A&M. On the 31st, you would be looking at Clemson versus Auburn. Uh, the same thing, 
uh, North Carolina versus Oregon State, Miami of Ohio versus Utah State, uh, Virginia versus Florida. We got Wisconsin versus Arkansas and so forth. So the big scenario here is whether uh, Alabama is going to stay at number two or whether they'll drop within the next couple weeks. It's really what it boils down to here in terms of the, uh, the picture for the college game. So I don't know if uh, you know anybody's going to pay really close attention to any of that as well. But at this point, it looks like uh, Alabama is still going to be favored as number two. I mean, just the way it looks right now, and it, I don't think it's going to change. Um, so, like we said before, the the top teams are rising rising up, and that includes Ohio, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, Michigan, Oregon, Ole Miss, all coming off big moments. And you throw in what um, Ohio, Ohio State did to Purdue. And just about all the top teams came up with something strong. So the it's all setting up for a final few weeks. They're about to be phenomenal, other than the debate for who's going to be actually considered number one in the rankings. So um, it's it's really interesting to see who's going to stand out, who's going to uh, break out of this uh, you know environment. Uh, I just think Georgia's too strong. Like I talked to, uh, to Coach Terry Lister last week, I think Georgia has it pretty much in the bank. Too strong. I think it's going to be no big deal. The way they've been playing lately, it's been really awesome. So I really think that that's going to be the case for them. They're not going to be basically uh, outed. I, re- I really think that that's the case. I, I don't even think any of that stuff's going to change, um, be- regardless of where they're positioned at. I think that's the case for the um, for the Georgia Bulldogs. They have what it takes. I think they're going to be the favorites. I don't think there's going to be an issue there. Anybody talking otherwise, I think it's kind of crazy in that sense. But uh, you know, it just it's just the way it is. So um, so we'll 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 wait and see. We got another this coming up week. We got a, key, a couple key games on there. We'll post them up or uh, post them up there at the hub, so you guys can take a look at them. And we'll keep tabs on the college football scene as well at the hub. Uh, the other things that happened uh, this week, kind of interesting article. Uh, the real drama of college football in 2021. So that's that was over at Yahoo Sports by uh, Pete Thamel, if I'm correct, the, uh, pronouncing him. Uh, we basically the the fact that you have uh, certain coaches, as he was pointing out, a carousel of coaches in the prior years and decades. No, the November chatter in the sports centered around jobs who would potentially be open. Now we have a shift mode, where, uh, for example, Virginia Tech you know, let's go of Justin Fuente as that head coach on Tuesday morning and then agreed to pay him $8.75 million to go away. <laughs> and, it, and it marked the, the 12th coaching change of the cycle. So Miami dispatched athletic director Blake James on Monday um, and then firing Manny Diaz right after that. Um, so there are plenty of more jobs that could open up by the end of the year. Uh, that would include jobs over in Florida, Duke, Arizona State among them. It uh, doesn't count potential, uh, you know, uh, potentially these coaches going to the NFL, especially if you're in a Power 5 school. Uh, you would be considered pretty much pretty good shoe-in for an NFL job. Uh, so there's still unknown in this carousel. So we'll, we're going to keep tabs on it this week and next week in terms of the coaching carousel uh, that's flipped into overdrive. And it's kind of intriguing to figure out right before the bowl games, normally the situation is you wait till the bowls, Bowls are over, and then you end up making changes, and you end up making significant changes, but not this year as a normal. So that's 
interesting per se as well. So we'll, we'll find out exactly, you know, how that goes at this point. Uh, we're going to be going into the interview right now. And if you guys haven't gone over to Monkey and I Fight, I totally encourage it. Play NBA, NFL every day. Uh, don't forget to use our code NJF to get started. And then uh, take advantage of the $5 free play. And if you get the more or less correct, you can earn up to $15 our own free $5 free play that we give you. And then check it out uh, Monday night, Thursday night, and Sunday night. Wasn't a great Monday night for me uh, watching my Rams get slaughtered, basically, and embarrassed on Monday night against the 49ers. What an what are atrocious performance. Uh, coming off that Tennessee loss, this just doesn't look good. Uh, it, was, it was like a one-man wrecking crew. And uh, hats off to the 49ers. They played a really decent game on both sides of the ball, including the special teams as well. So uh, the NFC West getting interesting as we speak right now in terms of what's going to happen. So uh, we're going to go into the huddle right now in just a a minute here, and we're going to be talking to the Hail Mary Book Arthurs, uh, Brittany Delacreta and Lindsay DiCarnangelo on the uh, book, The Historical Moments in Women's Football in the 70s. So we'll be uh, right after the um, promo here. We'll get, dive into both of those ladies, giving us the perspective on how they wrote the book and the significance, obviously, especially with the Toledo Troopers. Play is the fastest-growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy-to-play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50. All right, uh, Lindsay DiCarnangelo. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. I've been practicing the whole week. <laughs> it's uh, they want to it's Dark Angelo. It's Dark, Dark Angelo. Mm-hmm. So the uh, I was trying to I was throwing me off with the hyphen up there, Dark Angelo, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a tease. We don't really use it. <laughs> okay, and I know it's Italian because I researched it. And I'm like, how can I pronounce it? And then. I was like, I was going to call you, and I'm like, oh, I'll just wait and see if she'll just oh, correct no me on way. the air. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, Lindsay, uh, so, fantastic um, to have you on. I don't know. If, is Brittany with you? Quick note. Brittany is not going to be able to make it this evening, so it's just going to be oh, me. Oh, no worries. No problem. Um, uh, not a big deal. Um, so let's, uh, let's give the fans, um, our fans, a little dive in into you. Uh, you follow, you follow uh, women's basketball exclusively at the Athletic w, uh, WBB, and then you're also uh, at Just W Sports, right? So you are, write articles for them as well? Yes, I cover the WNBA and women's basketball for the Athletic um, and also Just W Sports. Uh, Lindsay, w- w- what did you think of the WNBA season? Pretty uh, exciting. Chicago takes it all the way, uh, of course. But uh, it was pretty interesting season up and down. I'm, so I usually bet on it on, on DraftKings. And probably the only guy, probably the no, I'm just kidding. But there's a lot of people that are already <laughs> into it now, right? And so, uh, especially on DraftKings. Um, so if you're following the WNBA, it's pretty exciting week to week. Uh, a lot of the roster changes that happen, you know, the uh, the you don't get the you don't get the same feedback you get with the NBA. So you really have to dive in more thoroughly to the WNBA, right? I'm on and I'm on Twitter all the time because there's a lot of Twitter handles that cover the WNBA. So it makes it kind of interesting and nice during the week. And then also at the same time, it gives you a heart attack, late, you know, late scratches and who's going to start kind of affects your lineup and things like that. 
Yeah, um, it was a great season. Um, I, I thought it just lots of excitement, lots of great games, lots of uh, interleague competition and new, newly established rivalries, um, great individual performances. I mean, just really all around, it was a great season. And the story for Chicago and Candace Parker going back home and, and winning the championship um, for her city is pretty cool. Yeah, former Sparks. Um... Uh, of course, as a Laker fan, so I know what she's all about, and I was kind of really excited and happy for her to get that and take them over the top. So um, I guess it's Chicago Bulls' turn, right? <laughs> There's a standard now <laughs> for Chicago sports. Like, where's it at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy set the bar. Yeah, that's sorry for Bear fans, but it's the way it goes, I guess. That's right. All right, uh, so Lindsay, let's get into the. Let's get into the book here. Uh, we did post it on our Facebook page, and we also posted it on all our social sites. And since we cover exclusively women, uh, women's uh, tackle football every week here on the show, uh, we thought it would be nice to have you guys back on. Uh, one of our uh, co-hosts here, uh, Mark Simone, uh, he covers, obviously, the Boston Renegades up the north, and so he covers the WFA exclusively. And so we were like, okay. And then he comes across your book and uh, your book signing uh, schedule, and we're like, hey, let's just get let's let's get them on here so they can uh, tell the audience exactly what Hail Mary is all about. So, can you tell us about like what the thought process first before the book started and trying to research all this? Yeah, initially Brittany and I were working on a, a more general version of of a book like this that was more broader, you could say. We were we wanted to really put women in football out there, but just all like from the history up to the present day, how women are involved in all aspects of the game as coaches and scouts and analysts and commentators, and um, also how women are still playing today in semi-pro leagues. We just really wanted to give a, a really um, overall look, and we were told that it was just too broad, and we had to narrow it down. And Brittany happened upon the uh, the NWFL from the 70s uh, working on an article for uh, – uh, for another uh, media site and brought it to my attention. And we decided that this is where we wanted to focus because it, it was so interesting and it's, it had, just, their story hasn't been told. Nobody knows the NWFL even existed. It just seems like too perfect. Um, and, it, and you just get that vibe when you stumble onto an untold story like this. So, um, so yeah, so we decided to go with it. We reworked our proposal, got the book deal and, um, just started researching as much as possible about the league and the players. What did you think, Lindsay, when you came across like uh, the 70s era with all those teams and obviously the struggles that some of those uh, ladies went through to even feel the team? You know, we get that story now as well, like some of the leagues, the semi-pro leagues, but it's not as severe as it was before because uh, now it's somewhat accepting it a lot more than it was in the 70s where, you know, women were not even supposed to play football, right? They were just like, hey, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, it was frustrating to read what, what these women had to go through. And in that time period, you know, women were just being able to participate in other sports. Um, Title IX had just passed in 1972, so everything was fresh. And to have this league rise up a couple of years later in 1974, um, I'm sure it was a shock to the society system, and that had a lot to do with um, how they were portrayed in the media and, and the view and how they weren't taken seriously. Um, it had to be incredibly frustrating. But 
You'd be um, probably not surprised to know that the semi-pro leagues and the players of today still deal with some of those same issues. And I think it's particularly because of the sport itself. You know, football's this masculine-coded sport. Um, it's, it's a violent sport, and I think we as a society still have a hard time wrapping our minds around women playing it. No, I understand that. I mean, the WNFC and the WFA, I think, face some of those obstacles as well. It's kind of interesting, Lindsay, when you start researching. Uh, like, I started covering this sport in 2009. But when you start uh, researching everything that's happening or that's happened in the past, going back to the, like, the 30s and the you know, early 50s, um, even mm-hmm. the era that we're talking about, it was the, w, uh, the, the NWFL, it was just a matter of, like, not being accepted, and you would think the NFL would jump on board. Uh, most most of the overseas, like in Europe, over in the uh, in that area, have you know the male team, uh, the junior team, and the women's team all combined under one umbrella. But here in the states, it's it's kind of like you're on your own, right? There's like no sister support. Uh, you would think the Bears would hook up up you know with whatever WFA team there is, or you know or WNFC team, but there's that's there's nothing there. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're, you're correct. There is no support from the NFL. And I think, you know, you, if you follow the WFA, um, the, the owner of the Boston Renegades, Molly Goodwin, and we actually we talk about the Renegades in the book. We talk, we talk exclusively with her and um, some, some uh, executives from other, some of the other um, pro, semi-pro leagues and just try to get a sense of, you know, if they could come together to form one league and if, they'd want the NFL to step in and the consensus seems to be no um, because of the way, you know, giving away that power and um, not having their own agency to direct the league the way they want, you know, how the NFL would maybe have more of a say in how they functioned. You know, there's that fear, um, I I think, in in their minds. And so really it's, it's, who knows what's going to happen with the leagues of today and where that's going to go. I mean, there's, there's at least four or five that are functioning right now and they're all kind of trying to dig from the same um, hole of resources, such as media attention, fans, um, investment, marketing, promotion. So it's all spread out. And if there was one league, they could all get all those resources to one league, you know, but um, there's just really no, overall consensus in where to go from here um, as far as that goes, unfortunately. And it's kind of frustrating because you would think uh, they, they'd all want the same vision, right, to pro- progress mm-hmm. growth and sit down at a meeting just like the AFL or the NFL did back in the in the early 70s where they merged both leagues. Yeah, I, but I, not I, happening. I think it might have to – I think it might have to go that route. You know, I think – some egos may have to be set aside and in order for the sport to really grow, because again, like I said, they're all vying for the same amount of resources, unfortunately. But um, I mean, you have that, you just mentioned with the NBA, like, um, you know, we have that going on in women's hockey right now with uh, two mm-hmm. different um, leagues going on. And when the WNBA first started, there were other leagues functioning before they kind of stepped aside. So, you know, I think, it's the natural course of things that women's football is just taking a little bit longer to get there. Lindsay, you follow this, all the sports, especially the, uh, the, uh, the women's side of things. Um, so that really puts a, you know, kind mm-hmm. of damper in terms of uh, getting somebody behind you, right? 
Uh, like in hockey, it, there's obviously structure. When you, when you come up and in, in terms of the WNBA, you have college, right, that you can feed from. It's almost similar to the NCAA to the NFL. But in women's tackle football, we didn't have that. So it, when you go back to the, NW, uh, the NWFL in the 70s, it was really one of the first times that, um, you know, you were having sort of a nationwide, you know, hype about the sport and, and a lot of women playing that sport. And from what I read from your book, there was a lot of struggles, but at the same time there was a lot of joy because they were breaking a lot of barriers across the state line. Yeah, yeah, um, you're, you're exactly right. There is no feeder system um, today for women in football. It's, so it's harder to get women exposure to the sport. You know, you have, um, say, your average kid plays youth football. He goes into middle school, plays high school. Let's say he gets a scholarship. Like, he's learning and growing and developing his skill and his um, football acumen throughout that whole process. So by the time he gets to college and can make it to the – and um, NFL, he has all that experience and, and knowledge. You don't have that for women. You know, women, like, uh, girls can play youth football, and then what? You know, and so how can they learn and grow and, and get that experience? Um, there's there's really no, no pipeline for it except the semi-pro league. But when you even get to that level, you still there's still a gap in the talent. And the same thing existed in the 70s. There was no, no pipeline, and, and these women were just starting to get a chance to play sports, like I said earlier. So some of them didn't know anything about football. Some had played as kids with their brothers, you know. So the talent level was, was you know, not the same, obviously. And um, there was no draft. Uh, you joined the team that was in your area. And so team owners had to choose um, players from whoever showed up. And so some teams just had more talent than others because of just where they, where they were located. So, um, but I think, I think that that could change with the NFL implementing this new flag football um, organization um, at the high school and college level where women will get a chance to get exposed to the game um, earlier, earlier in their lives and, and then maybe be able to go into football careers later on um, so hopefully, hopefully that will help shift things. All right, Lindsay, I'm going to bring uh, Mark Simone here into the conversation, one of our other co-hosts, and he's going to kind of pick your brain on the book. And uh, he was kind of excited to go to the book signing as well and look and reading it. And uh, it's a fantastic uh, read. And I think uh, a lot of fans will get really uh, real perspective in terms of women's tackle football and, and that type of the era. So we really appreciate you guys doing all that and, creating that book. So I'll let Mark here kind of dive in. Hi, Lindsay. It's nice to talk to you again um, after meeting you in Brookline. Um, Yeah. Just to pick up on the, on the topic that, that you're on, I I think probably in, in today's uh, women's football scene, one thing that is very different um, is that I think very many of the women who are coming to play football now, while they don't have, a lot of football experience, certainly not in the same way that, um, that, that men do. Um, they do have a lot of athletic experience compared to the 1970s. Thanks, you know, um, giving credit to, to Title IX to establish those opportunities. But I, I think a lot of the, uh, the, the women today are, are already athletes when they go into the league, just in some other sport. So, um, that 
must have been a very, very sort of, um, I guess I think a kind of a hard thing to wrap one's head around when you're talking to um, uh, the players of the um, NWFL because uh, we, we haven't really had that experience, right? For, for us, Title IX's always been there. High school sports for, for girls has, you know, kind of always been there for, for most of our lives, if not all of our lives, um, just by virtue of age. So when you were talking with them about, you know, certainly not having any football experience, but also just lack of athletic uh, experiences that these women had must have been a pretty big barrier, I think. Yeah, it was a, it was definitely a lack of opportunity. I mean, a lot of them played in like softball leagues uh, that were that were local to to where they lived and everything. So you had a you had a lot of softball players and even um, you know women who ran track and stuff. I mean, a lot of them just had natural athletic ability, and, and some didn't have any at all, but were curious about the sport. But the the cool thing about what Title IX did is just it opened up their sports world incredibly, so that they could just had the opportunity to get sports experiences and just try a bunch of different sports. Um, there's one player, Rose Lowe, who played for the LA Dandelions, who in college just decided to try every sport she could get her hands on, from archery to rowing, um, anything. And and once football rolled around and she saw the opportunity to play, she jumped at that. And she actually went on to be um, a physical education teacher um, because of that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it was it's kind of it was a different era. It, it um, to hear them talk about it, I couldn't imagine living during that time. I grew up uh, as an athlete myself. I started playing soccer at five years old. Um, played soccer all through um, middle school, high school. Played basketball too. You know, I'm just uh, I played as an adult as well. So it just kind of it blows your mind a little bit to to put yourself in their shoes. Oh yeah, a- absolutely, and, and I think the book really, really does that. Um, uh, I'm more than halfway through. I'm about to read some um, um, the chapter before we talk about the downfall of the NWFL. So um, I'm enjoying the book, uh, and f- for those who haven't picked it up yet um, or haven't started reading it yet, um, I, one of the things that you do really is sort of cover the origins of you know each of the teams each of the founding teams i think maybe not all of them mm-hmm. but um um it's really interesting because each team has its own unique story and you know every player of course has their own story and you know these stories are the ones that are getting told in hail mary and the thing that strikes me is that there you know for a person like myself who is uh, sort of very, I think, deeply and emotionally involved in women's tackle football today. It's like they're so familiar, these stories, even though they're coming from decades ago. You hear a lot of the same things that you still hear in the game today um, about, you know, not having a chance to play football when they were younger. Um, Coaches... Uh, being kind of surprised at how quickly the women take up the game and, and in a way uh, are easier to coach than uh, men because men come in with the attitude like they already know it all because they've been playing football already for 15, 20 years or whatever. Um, 
the idea that um, if there was just one league, we could really get this thing going. That that's a uh, an idea I thought that um, is perpetuated throughout. I think the life of women's tackle football, and also just uh, conflicts and like leagues um, splitting off of a you know off another league. Um, you know when the west when the west coast teams decided they weren't going to be in the NWFL anymore and have their own league for certainly very legitimate reasons. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good for the game at, as a total. We still can, you know, deal with those topics in women's football today. So um, it's just, it's a very interesting read. And I think the funnest thing really is the individual stories I can see players that I know in there. I don't, I mean, I don't know the players that played in the seventies. I'll be reading somebody's individual story. And I'm like, and I, I just picture a current football player that I know. It's like, that sounds just like this person. So, I mean, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable book. And I think you and Brittany have really certainly put in a lot of work um, with interviewing people. And that must have been a quite quite a process. What was that process like? Reaching out to all these folks and not knowing if you're going to, who you're going to be able to talk to, or if you're going to be able to you know find these people at all. Yeah, I tried not to think about that. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, um, I was just we were just focused on trying to track down as many players as we could. And there's definitely that fear, like, what if nobody wants to talk to us? Because um, if we don't get anyone to talk to us, you don't have a you don't have a book. Um, you need these personal stories for the for the reason you just mentioned. You know, to connect with the reader, to put a face or to put a name to the situation. Obviously, you can't see their faces unless they're in a picture, but um, you know what I mean. And so it, we we needed to connect um, with the players. And once once we 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 got a hold of um, one or two, you know, that would lead to a couple more and then a couple more because players on the same team, you know, some, some are still in contact with each other and would just point us to, to, to their friends. Um, so that the, the initial, the initial calls were probably the hardest. And then once we got the ball rolling, it just sort of went from there. Um, and, and we, we were lucky that so many players trusted us with their stories and their personal stories. And there's a lot of personal information that they shared with us. And, um, trusted us with so to be able to to take that on and 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 share who they are as as people and, and women's women's football players was just an incredible privilege yeah that's great in the nation today i think there are about uh, 2000 more than 2000 adult women playing in the established women's football league and i would say probably you know a vast majority of them um, you know, previously had not heard of the National Women's Football League, um, didn't know that they existed um, to, for the book. Do they follow still women's football? Did they know that there's still women's football going on? You know, that's a good question. I, we didn't really talk about that specifically because once we get to the legacy part of the book and where women's football is now, we talk to um, – you know, people who are currently involved in women's football, you know, talking to the players, we mostly stuck to their era and what, you know, what they went through and 
whatnot. I know some of them do know that, that women's football exists. I, I don't know how closely they follow. I know, I know some of the players follow the WNBA um, and, and other, other women's sports um, and are big women's sports supporters. So there's definitely like a, a connection there. Yeah, I'd kind of like to see that. And one of my hopes for, with this story coming to light uh, because of your hard work is that there becomes a stronger bond between the players of yesteryear, players today. Um, I know that things have been happening, particularly with the Troopers and their story, the Toledo Troopers um, story, um, getting um, uh, a bit more widely told. And, you know, I, I, I think the uh, the story of the Troopers, if, if there is one story that has permeated into current players um mind it's probably the story of the troopers um and uh, it, it it seems like there's there's kind of more action which is which is great and so i'm really hoping that um as women's football today uh, moves forward that it will bring um you know the national women's football league along with them because they're such an important part of you know, our history, they really are. I, you know, wouldn't be here today without them. Yeah. And I think a lot of current players, though, though I only spoke to, you know, a few, uh, and I think they not only appreciate the women who came before, but they, they understand the, the, the lineage, right. The, the connection, the through line, how, the women who broke the mold in the 1970s paved the way for them to continue to play women's football today at, at an even higher level. Um, so there's definitely an understanding there for sure. Uh, one more question, Lindsay, if you don't mind. Um, sure. You know, I know you and Brittany talked to, a, you know, a lot of folks. You scanned, you know, a lot of uh, newspaper articles and I'm pretty sure that only so much could get into the book. And, you know, there are probably things that, that didn't make it into the book. And I, I think you might have mentioned as well that, um, you know, some of the information that did come your way came after deadline. And so that couldn't make it in the book. Uh, is, that, is that true? And, and if that's true, what do you, what do you plan to do with, those those stories or that information have you given any thought to that at all yeah we knew going into this that we were even though there's were two of us there was only so much information we'd be able to to gather um and and put together and that there were going to be some things we'd miss um and, and so we were okay with that um, and, and you're right, uh, Brittany did receive from a player that Brittany had been trying to track down, finally got in touch, and they, the player sent Brittany a bunch of, of new information we hadn't known. And um, we are going to update the paperback version with, um, with that information, along with some other things we've discovered. You know, you get your hands on, on more um, documents and stuff. Uh, that, that makes it a lot easier. There were certain documents and things that we just – that weren't in our possession for us to know certain, certain, um, certain things and some significant um, aspects of the league. 
So now that we have that, we're definitely going to update the paperback. And we're hoping more information comes out because, you know, as we discussed earlier, I, we didn't talk to every single player. We we couldn't. The book, first of all, the book would be like a thousand pages long. <laughs> um, we chose specific teams that we were able to get the most information on and then focus on those teams and those players. So we're hoping other players from other teams come forward and, and, and share their stories as well. And, and hopefully we can have have that stuff in time to update the paperback with with that as well. That's fantastic. Um that that's really good to hear. Um cuz you know, I you know, it would be very sad for for that information to uh not get shared. You know, really sort of the impetus behind the book is that, you know, you know, this story has just never really been told in this in this way and um, in in many cases, the story was being erased as it was being written. So um, it's just uh, it's a remarkable feat, and um, and I personally, just as someone who is interested in the topic, and just grateful to to have this information. This fills in a lot of the gaps of like the timeline of of the league. Um, any information that could have been found on the internet. You know, you had to piece it together, and it was a lot of nebulous writing and kind of dubious sources. Um, so um, you, you've you done, you know, like a remarkable, remarkable job with sort of getting clarity as much as, as much as we can. And it's quite funny, isn't it? Because, for example, let's just go to the 1976 National Women's Football League Championship which um, is a con- the outcome of it is is disputed, right? That the troop the Toledo Troopers say that they won the game, and uh, the Oklahoma City Dolls say that they won the game, and the film cannot be found as to whether or not that kick went through the uprights or not. And so there, you know, there was a ruling that they would be co-champions. I mean, that's just it's fascinating, even if we don't know what the what really happened um at least we know the circumstances now which were for me personally completely unclear based on anything that i could have found on the internet and it's just a fascinating story and i think it it, that that incident alone just kind of propels the reputation of the of the nwfl in a way that is you know, was it kind of wild back then? Yeah, it was kind of wild. There was unprecedented stuff happening. Who knew that in their first championship game that they wouldn't know who won and they had to make an administrative decision about that? I mean, that's that's really fantastic. I mean, I, I hate to think that a team wouldn't know if they, you know, won the game or not um, and that there would be any confusion over who the winner of the game was. But looking back historically fascinating that's that's a story that totally needs to be told and shared yeah that's one thing that's so great about this book is there's all these different tidbits like that like the one you just pointed out that could be their own book unto themselves you know um so many things happened throughout the early history of women being involved in football that it could be expanded on into the, into their own <laughs> article or or book or whatever, you know, and there's 
I really feel like there's something for everyone in this book, whether it's historians or sports fans or football fans or, um, uh, you know, women's sports supporters, athletes. I mean, there's really a lot to take away from this book. Um, I think it's, it's, it's entertaining. I think it's just one of those untold sports stories that you happen upon, you know, once in a lifetime and to be able to get to tell it is pretty amazing. Agreed. So um, I believe that your book can be found in independent bookstores in many, many places. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you go into your local bookstore and they don't have it, they can always order it for you. But yeah, we're, we're out there. (laughs) We're out there and we're available. That's great. Um, Thank you so much, Lindsay, for um, coming on the podcast and, um, where can people reach you online? Um, I'm, I'm primarily on Twitter. Um, that's where I usually, you know, share all my work for the athletic and just women's sports and WNBA and women's basketball, women's college basketball um, tidbits and coverage um, and everything about Hail Mary as well. It's uh, at darkangel21. Perfect. Oscar? All right. Uh, Lindsay, uh, what an amazing uh, endeavor to put the book together between you and uh, Brittany. And as uh, women tackle football fans, myself and uh, Mark and others that are listening to this podcast overseas as well, uh, we are very thankful for you guys' laboring and to bring attention to our sport because I think it, uh, it lacks a lot of attention in general. And to go back in history, as Mark was alluding here, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of laboring, so uh, we thank you, both of you, for creating this kind of gem for us fans here in this sport, and uh, appreciate you guys doing all that work. Yeah, we, uh, we appreciate the, the interest and the support, and um, we just we wanted to put out this story in, hope that it, in, hope, in the hopes that it would resonate and that these players would get the recognition they finally deserve. Oh, yeah, we, that it totally happened. So, um, Lin, uh, Lindsay, I'm going to go back and get my notes here in a second, but uh, Bold Type Books is the publisher, correct? So if they want to order it, it's, yep. it's by Bold, Bold Type Books. Uh, it is uh, roughly, yep. I believe, $28 U.S., if I'm correct, and it's $35 Canadian. I believe so. I know that different book outlets, you can get it for – you know, different prices, um, okay. depending on what the, what the discount is. I think I like on Amazon, it's like, I want to say like less than, I want to say like 23. I don't know. Last time I okay. kudos. So it's well worth the, uh, it's reasonably priced. That's what my point is. Yeah. So you can get it pretty much reasonably priced. It's really easy to do. Uh, it's the call. The book is called Hail Mary, the rise and fall of the NWFL. Um, so thank you for making the time. Thanks to uh, Jocelyn for making the arrangements. And uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to Brittany, but thanks, Brittany, also for her laboring and everything that she's done. Uh, I am uh, I'm with Mark. I'm still reading it through, but I think it's a very classic book for us women's tackle football uh, enthusiasts. And uh, I think historically it, it just puts everything in perspective. As Mark says here, there's a lot of cool things that we go into it. Um, so to the same thing that, you know, when you put an NFL book from the 30s, as an example, to early 40s, I think you guys have, have put us in a situation where 
Now we can look back at the 70s as really within that era, that type of era, and uh, where we stand today and similarities between it. So thanks uh, once again for all that work. Oh, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the love. <laughs> it was it was worth every step. All right, uh, Lindsay, we'll be following. Uh, so you guys can follow Lindsay exclusively on Twitter. Uh, she's at at uh, just W Sports. Also, the Athletic uh, WBB. So don't miss it, especially during the season. Uh, she gets updates, right, Lindsay? You're probably slammed with <laughs> a lot of information you got to put out and dissect, but. Uh, Happy times, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, thank you very much for making the time to us. Uh, say hi to Brittany for us and, and thank her as well. Uh, and you're welcome to come back anytime on our podcast. Just let us know. And uh, and as, uh, like I said, the women's football community thanks you for all the hard work. We'll be catching up. And uh, if you guys want to get a copy, uh, just go get a copy of Hail Mary Now. And you can get it right there at the Hub we got the link right there as well, or you can follow Lindsay, and she pretty much can tell you how to get it. So it's pretty easy to do. So just go out and buy it and be intrigued and uh, pretty much made aware of what women's tackle football was in the 70s. So awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right, Lindsay. Have a good night, okay? Safe travels. Enjoy it. Have a good week. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. All right, Mark, uh, I wanted to bring her on because I want to give, you know, kind of give everybody a perspective on there uh, in terms of the book. You're reading the book. I, I got a couple experts of the book. I'm waiting for my copy to get here. Um, so it should be here probably within, a. I, I want to say, this week or next week. Um, you can obviously get it on digital if you want to as well. So you can pick it up that way. But pretty interesting if you go through the chapters of the book, it kind of breaks down some of the things like you said some of the similarities that we're dealing with right now with the WFA and the WSC in its present time. Yeah. It's, you know, that old saying, you know, more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, It, it, it's, it's almost comical in a way to um, see some of the uh, same issues um, that, you know, the leagues and the teams struggle with today you know, were taking place back in the seventies when when they were really just really just formed the first legitimate women's tackle football league. Um, uh, so I say comical, but I also mean sad too, right? Um, because some of the stuff that you know, some of the challenges that they had to face in the seventies, you know, just you know wasn't right, and you know women still face these struggles today and it's still not right. Um, but uh, we can't take stock in the fact that, you know, some things have changed for the better. Certainly, um, you know, there are so many more opportunities now for women to play football, period, um, than, you know, back in the 70s. It's, uh, there are so many opportunities now Um is it as accepted in the mainstream? You know, maybe a little bit more, um, but generally speaking, not so much. You still get people who it's completely foreign idea for them that women play tackle football, right? <laughs> they can't fathom it. But, um, you know, there are just so many more opportunities to play now, which is, which is great. 
I mean, the process to get to beyond Title IX, as to your point, to your point, I think we get we're in a better place in a lot of ways, but we still have the obstacle of a feeder system, as she was pointing out, yep. right? Where other sports have Absolutely. a feeder system, basketball, soccer, all these other female sports in terms of Title IX sequence, where we don't have that. But you know, we're, it's kind of ground zero because we're we're having flag football, but basically be the introductory. That's right, and. Um... That's something that is, you know, still developing, and it looks like, but it looks like it's real, right? I, I think we can envision, you know, you know, some years down the line, where, you know, flag football programs will be widespread throughout uh, the school system, and that most places will have uh, teams for girls in that. Um, that's just, you know, even just. When we started uh, following the game, Oscar, you know, in 2007, 2008, we couldn't even really imagine that, you know, flag football could um, uh, permeate uh, through society. Um, but now we can. So things definitely have changed. And, and so it looks like that's going to be the, the feeder system. I don't think there's going to be a lack of demand for – for full pad tackle football, um, uh, certainly at the adult level, but um, having flag um, be the feeder, um, you know, hey, that sounds like a good idea to me. I think once we get rolling with the fact that the NFL backs it up, we get the opportunity where we have now, uh, you know, pro leagues that are in, in flag, they're, they're going to pay money pools. I think the interest is going to be there. And at some point, you know, we might be 10 years away from, uh, you know, really creating a full-fledged feeder system for the tackle side. But in terms of the uh, flag scene internationally and in the States, I mean, flag is huge worldwide. So that would be the way to get in, you know, and that I think that's where we're at. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as you say, like flag is definitely – um, big and it's going to be the thing, and I think tackle is going to be it's going to be that alternative for the athletes that that want to play that that want to do that might not be the main thing you know, um, but if 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 they can have professional swag that pays you know that might that could really help propel. Um, a, uh, a, a women's tackle league forward into the pay, a paying status. Because um, I think if, if, if it's shown that people want to pay to watch flag football uh, for, for women, then they'll want, you know, maybe they'll want to pay also to see uh, women play tackle football on, on, a, this, on a bigger scale than what we're talking about now. I agree. I think once the NFL gets on board with uh, the flag, I think it's it's going to be interesting. Um, let's go into the women's game here before we bring in uh, the conversation of NFL flag with the talented Steph Jackson here in a couple minutes. Uh, but, uh, Mark, uh, congratulations to the Vienna Vikings. Uh, really, we we had no doubt, of course. Uh, we talked about it last week and the week before. And Salzburg did come out and, and kind of challenge, but at the same time, it was kind of like a no contest. So they win their 19th consecutive championship 
in Austria, which is uh, unprecedented. Yeah, that's unbelievable. You know, we had to look it up, right, to figure it out. Now they're closing in on 20. Can you imagine that? 20 consecutive? Well, it looks pretty. It looks like they have a pretty good shot at doing that. If they've already won the last 19. But I mean, uh, congratulations the to the of Austria, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something else. <laughs> like they took the Celtics and the Lakers and they put them together. Like, <laughs> wow. I was looking at that. I'm like, well, that this is uh, that's just awesome. You know what I mean? Just 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 the fact that you some people some teams can't even win one. Right? The fact that you're right. winning almost 20 in a row. It's just insane just to think about it that way. Right. I mean, I mean, it raises a few questions like, you know, what are the other teams? What are they not, what are they not doing to, to get more competitive here? You know? Um, but uh, you know what? We'll see what next season holds for them. Uh, congratulations to the, um, the uh, Vienna Vikings. They did a great job. Um, we didn't get a live feed, which was I was kind of disappointed. I sent out a message to um, the the rep or the manager up at the the Vienna Vikings, and they weren't able to do, do a feed. I guess I don't know what the situation was, but you would think that at least get the championship feed on, right? If you can't get the during the season, but it didn't happen. So hopefully we'll get somebody that maybe was there. Uh, I've been searching all over and trying to make some contacts and nothing about, but um, you can go to the Instagram page on our Great Iron Beauties page and you get right there the cel- um, the team celebration of the Vienna Vikings 19th consecutive championship, which is, uh, a, a, wow, just blows my mind. We thought three in a row by the, by the Renegades, right? It's huge, but 19, that's just extreme. You're right, that's mind-blowing. All right, uh, Mark, uh, Lafay, it's set. We are done. Satanis, Pumitas, uh, and to your prediction and your point uh, in the last couple of podcasts, you said, you know, Pumitas would be there, and they were, uh, given that one that one game that they had a forfeit, and here they show up. And so this is the moment, I guess, if you want to get it down to it, um, an opportunity for Pumitas to take down the Titans who have been rolling all year. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is going to be, uh, yeah, this is going to be a big matchup. Um, the... Uh, as, as you had alluded to, um, you know, the the, uh, uh, the Pominas had to forfeit a contest against Maya Sassoul, uh earlier in the season. So the two teams had never met on the field. And um, um, although the Maya Sassoul were in that second position and the favorite going in, uh, it was the Pominas who, um, you know, pulled off a, a mild upset with a with a very late touchdown in a what was otherwise a defensive battle. The final score was six nothing. I'm not quite sure if that was overtime an overtime score or just a, a it was late overtime. Score. Uh, we got the video it, clip right there at the hub. So it was in overtime. And they pulled it off on that on that one place. You guys can get to watch it right there. That's yeah. That's that's amazing. And uh, so now, uh, you know, the Titanes pulled off, a, you know, another big win, a shutout over Mexico's 20 nothing, as And that's kind of, you know, they've been pretty dominant um, all season. But, you know, you go back all the way to the first week, uh, Titanes 7, Pumita 6. 
So this could be a very, very close championship game. Uh, definitely one I want to watch. I think the the opportunity is there for Pumitas to really uh, upset, and then they would have to get the shot against Maya Blancos, which is kind of interesting considering that Halcones uh, took care of business against Panteras in the similar fashion of back-to-back, kind of like with Austria, the Austrian season ended, where Halcones had to face right, Panteras right. twice. So it, it just yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to see Maya Blanco will be taking on Hakones if we're going to get to see Maya versus Pumita, to your point. Uh, right. I mean, it'll be, um, it'll be an interesting um, final there in Division Two as, uh, as well. Um, you know, the Hakones, uh they didn't get as big a, a win over uh, Penteras Negras as they did the, the, the week before. Um, so I have my concerns about, you know, whether or not there, you know, are injuries or if they're, mm-hmm. um, you know, if that's going to be a factor there. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. All right. Uh, the other final uh, finals was uh, it's going to be in uh, Queens Football League. So Indo Haven 12 to 6 over Swole. We'll see what the final is going to look like here. And then uh, the kickoff of the Italian season. And we got all the details right there at the hub. Uh, Gridiron West updates as well. Uh, Curtin Saint, uh, Perth Broncos, 42-6 to over Curtin. Uh, Hills Valkyries fall to the West Coast uh, Wolverines. Uh, Swan City uh, edges Claremont as well. So we'll get everything right there at the hub. Go right there right now and get it. The best network on the planet exists at the hub. So go to facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauty. So, all right, Mark, let's bring in um, – the talented uh, Steph Jackson into the huddle here. Steph, how's it going? Hey, guys. What's up? What's going on, Hi, Steph? Hey, hey. I literally almost missed this because I did not check my Facebook messages. So, yeah. It's not like you're busy or anything. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, you know, just regular smugglers. You are harder to get. You are harder to get booked than anybody else I know. I have to go through like three hurdles to get you on the, on one schedule. That's pretty pretty Out impressive. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it, I think it's easier to get a Joe Biden a trip to Joe Biden than to a trip to sit down Steph Jackson. Listen, okay, Joe may be Joe may be a little busy these days, okay. <laughs> All right. He doesn't even know where he's going, so I know where you're going. You you know where you're going, so we're good. <laughs> All right. Uh Steph, uh so the NFL flag, I mean, uh season is it's pretty much in play. Uh you got a lot yeah. of uh WNFC teams uh in conjunction with uh I believe Jen Welter as well out there, including yourself, and then you got uh um, everybody out there, just pretty much all the NFL teams have at least a, a flag a, affiliation now. So it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to see that. And then we have some of the WNFC teams as well as WFA teams kind of getting involved with some of the camps. So it's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a lot going on. And it's funny. I just got off the uh, just got off the horn with um, with NFL flag, and we were just having having our kind of an, not annual but quarterly catch up anyway. Um, 
I think it's about seven of us, I want to say, seven or eight of us, uh, the the um, flag ambassadors. And so everybody's really just doing some amazing things, doing their part. Um, and you're right, like flag football, I'm out here right now in Mississippi just um, doing some things through my nonprofit to introduce flag football because there's so many amazing athletes out here. Um, and the way I see it is that flag football is, is a – is another vehicle to for students and you know and young people to really either one um, advance their education or two along the line build their brand make some money. I'm all about athletes making money, getting paid because mm-hmm. um, I know it's it's hard to look outside of your sport sometimes as an athlete. And when I was really in it, it was really hard for me to to hear anything about brand building or you know, this and that, but, um, yeah, flag football is just, it's going nuts right now. And I I think it should be in every state, um, every high school, every young lady should at least get a, uh, and even the young men, I tell parents all the time, put your kid in flag. Don't put them in tackle just yet until they're maybe 13, 14 years old, but give them some, um, some experience of flag and let them get their skills up first. So, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot going on in flag. Steph, um, your calendar. I mean, do you need get any downtime at all? Like, you get like a, a actual downtime at all? I do. We're this is downtime to hang out with you guys. Um. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> it's our pleasure to give you some downtime. Absolutely. <laughs> More than happy to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I was excited because I, I really enjoyed um, at least briefly talking to you guys last time we got to chat. Um, I think this was mm-hmm. maybe earlier this year or late last year, something like that. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to be an adult and schedule downtime, and I don't even know. Like, it's, this life is so much fun. <laughs> and um, I sleep sometimes, I think. Uh, rarely, on rare occasions, I get to go and sleep. But um, but no, I just have so much fun doing this. Um, I'm building in the football space, and also I'm a lawyer, so there's that space too. So it's like two worlds. I'm existing in a lot of different worlds, and I'm loving it right now. Okay, I would not, I would not even figure that you would go into the lawyer scheme, but I'm pretty sure you have the very good talent for it too, because you're right on top of things. So. I, I feel bad for the uh, the other side <laughs> into a case. <laughs> That's hilarious. You're gonna get right I, on I, I don't even do I don't even do um, litigation. I'm I'm in I'm more so I try to fuse everything and make everything. Um, I don't even know if it's synergistic is a word, but I'm gonna make it up and there it is synergistic. <laughs> and um, there you go. And, right, right. <laughs> and so I say in contracts and. Um, I got some things that are about to launch now as far as sports and all that good stuff. And so that's where I am. I don't wish to be litigating in front of anybody's judge. That does not seem as much fun. And you got to memorize no. all these rules and stuff. So I stay away from that. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, uh, I have lawyer friends and they, they have seconds, you know, that at some point they always go the same route. They're like, maybe I shouldn't have gone into this at all. <laughs> Cause it's yes. so many hours and, it's so much laboring and conflicts. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a lot of drama, yeah. as they say. 
A lot of drama. A lot uh, of but drama. No. If you're in law, you love drama. Yeah, seriously. Um, so, Steph, uh, what, did, what did we look forward to in 2022 in terms of the flag or NFL flag and, at, at this point? Is it going to be the same stuff? working uh, nationwide with a lot of the NFL teams and their and the community-based stuff like that or is it are we looking at competitions or events or is there anything you can disclose at this point uh yeah so I hate to be the spoiler person I'm a big Marvel fan and what's hilarious is that um I forget the actor that plays uh the Hulk but he would always mistakenly leak everything like terribly it was horrible but anyway, I won't be that person. Um, I know. I won't be him, but I will say that <laughs> I will say I will say that there are gonna be a lot more schools offering flag for girls in that space. Um there are going to be obviously, you know, the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl is going to be huge. Uh I think I may be leaking this. Um, but I think that is it the Super Bowl or Pro Bowl? I want to say that there will be a national I know in the past uh, we had flag at the Pro Bowl, you know, in terms of an event. It's usually yeah, an but, annual but type of deal. But this particular one, they will, there will be a nationally televised game on ESPN. Oh, I'm not cool. even sure which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even, like, out yet. But um, I'm not sure. When obviously there's going to be a lot of marketing around it, but there will be a nationally televised game. Um, Nothing. And, none of this stuff's going to get out because we don't have an audience or anything. We're good. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. A few thousand of our closest friends. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, you can say anything you want. Yeah, no one will. We won't. You know, no one. There's no listeners. Listening. We're good. That is hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you guys sound like my brothers. No, it's fine. Mm. Tell us. Nobody will ever find out. It's like, okay, all right. But, no, it's it's a lot happening in the flash space next year. And in my in my personal calendar, I'm already in 2022. So there there's a lot um, even now from a planning aspect and, and a lot of different events that are going to be happening in the flag and football space. And for me, so I'm with I'm obviously in, in flag and, and building girls football, but also I have a soft heart for, for boys and I just just football in general. And so mm-hmm. there are there are things that I've been working on. Here um I'm in Mississippi right now. I'm basically living the Kanye West life where do not ask me where I live because wherever I fly to there's somewhere to stay. I don't have a house, okay? I just I live on planes. Right Steph, if, ever, if anybody follows you on IG, we already know that. If they follow you on IG, it's like you're just out and about, just the way it goes, <laughs> right? They follow your stories, follow IG. You, you can get yeah, Steph right there. Like, okay. yeah, no, I know, but active. I'm just saying if, if everybody follows you, which everybody should go follow you, uh, everybody knows you're, uh, you're out and about, right? It's just like one state to the next and you're on the go. I know. I am going to settle in and get a house, and it's going to be amazing. But right now, me and Ye, we not getting houses yet. Uh, it's it's so much to be done. I feel like, um, you know, from state to state, and and my goodness. And so right now, I'm in Mississippi with some partners. Um, we're opening up, uh, introducing flag, but also opening up opportunities for. The young men in high school who don't get as many looks, which is crazy because mm-hmm. per capita, Mississippi sends more to 
more players to the NFL than uh, any other state, I think, um, Mississippi and Louisiana, if you go by population. So it's a lot of talent here, a lot of kids that aren't getting as many looks, which is hilarious because one of my guys who didn't really get looked at, they slapped three stars on him, and now he's top ten in the nation and uh, is a wide receiver. Wow. I know. Shout out to you, Corey Rucker. He's over at Arkansas wow. State. Um, just disgusting. He's just disgusting. He's killing it. But uh, so yeah. So I'm just doing a lot in the football space, and um, you know, my heart is for athletes, and in my head, I'll always be an athlete, whether I'm running around a football field or, you know, or other stuff or looking at contracts, whatever the case may be. So it's a lot to be done. It's an exciting life. You know what I'm saying? We know we know you're up and up and up all the time because I follow you on IG and you're you're always on the go. So uh especially uh your airport uh, dilemmas that you get now and then. Oh you know what I mean? God. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Even when you TSA pre check, it just never I mean listen, it's a I've mess. never been asked. Steph, it is a mess. I don't know how you can describe it any less than that. And depending on the airport that you go to, it's even worse. Denver. Denver's the worst. Sorry, Denver. Oh, Denver. Denver is the worst. You know what? I love Denver. They always come through with the Einstein bagels. I'm I'm okay with them. But you're right. Like I don't know, man. Uh, Atlanta is a close close second. God. I know. And, and, And all these restrictions and all these hurdles, I mean, it makes you not want to even travel with an airport. <laughs> it makes you just want to drive a lot of senses. <laughs> oh, it's just bad. I've been known to drive places. If it's over six hours, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to fly. But sometimes it's really – I love the open road because my dad's a truck driver. Yeah. So I do enjoy just getting on the road and being able to let the windows down because down south it's still like 70-something degrees, okay? So you Hell can yeah. ride with the windows down. All right, um, Steph. So, so th- at this point in time, uh, the calendar is basically coming up like normal, which is basically the NFL end of the season. It'll be in February, mm-hmm. January, February. You got all these events planning. Um, yep. The the NFL flag in 2022 is that the same the same kind of concept we're working with here, where we're going uh, basically state to state in terms of NFL communities as well in, in that same scope. And then we also have the announcement of, you know, this all these adult leagues now paying mm-hmm. players, you know, in terms of the tournament format on a men's and a women's side. So, uh, I mean, yep. just uh, I was, you know, alluding to a lot of people before and during this week, I'm getting all this information about all these uh, two two top-tier um, flag uh, tournaments or flag leagues in terms of, investing in them and things like that. And it, it looks like flag's going to be the way to go. And if it gets commercialized to the point where like an NFL type status, uh, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of exposure on cable. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So flag, it, flag takes a lot of, of what people, um, anti-football people deem against football, right? They don't like the concussions. They don't like the hard mm-hmm. hits. They don't like the uh, whatever case may be. Um, flag takes a lot of that out of it, and so it opens up the field really for more people to play. And as you know, like flag has always been big. It just hasn't been like there's not been a national 
um, platform where we can all say, hey, we're going to go play flag here like the NFL with, with tackle football. But now that NFL flag has really just taken off and now kids, girls get scholarships, and I, I assume somewhere down the line there are going to be men's flag teams and these um, uh, outside of club teams where, where guys can come play, play flag and get scholarships, right? So um, it's a lot happening, and the NFL flag, so they're the World Games 2020 next year um, down in Mobile. Is it Mobile? No, Birmingham. In Birmingham. So that's going to be a huge event because now for the first time um, they have male and females able to play flag football in the World Games. And also the World Games is one step away from the Olympics, right? So it's almost like let's put this sport in the world games to see how well it does. And then let's talk to the Olympic committee to see if we can get it in the Olympics. So that's really a huge goal to get flag football in the Olympics. It's already, you have team USA, you have uh, so many countries with their own national flag, national teams. And so it's just, it makes sense to put it in the Olympics. And so that's going to be huge for 2022 um, to see where flag lands as far as, you know, the world games, and then you have the Olympic committee. Uh, so um, as far as, as the adult league, um, there have always been a lot of adult leagues, but now because flag has been thrust into the national spotlight, you have a lot more adult teams willing to get in these tournaments and play in these large tournaments. And so the tournaments are getting bigger, and so now there's more money being pumped into them. And so they can do things like, okay, let's pay, let's pay our players. Like, I was getting heavily recruited. It was crazy. Like, I think people, like, they're still hitting me up on Facebook, like, hey, can you come play? Will you come play this and that? And I'm like, yo, I hung up my cleats. Um, but to your point, it is getting big, and they are really, really recruiting players. So, yeah, 2022 is going to be huge for flags. Steph, do you think the intrigue is that there's less injuries in that sense and it's more, I think, uh, more fitness-driven in that sense? Because uh, I see a lot of the, you know, a lot of all the tackle players. I see uh, players from the WFA. I see see, uh, WNFC. I even see players from, you know, uh, Legends Football League. They're all pretty much on the the flag circuit all over now. So it's like it's getting big, bigger there than it is when they're on their own, in their own platforms, basically. Well, if you look at it, like, so we have always played flag in our off season. Um, I wasn't a – I think I – I didn't play as much flag as, as my counterparts, but uh, it's kind of like the WNBA in that after the WNBA season, they don't rest. They just go and play international ball. So right. um, in women's football, after our season, now it's time to go play flag, and that's how a lot of teams keep um, – like, I met, I think there was, was this team, Alabama Fire. They were a flag team. I remember meeting them in Atlanta at, at Cam Newton's tournament. And uh, this was year, uh, years ago, like, before they got into women's tackle. So they were a flag team before they even went into the women's tackle world. And so you have that where those, those worlds just, like, it's like flag prepares you for the tackle season, but not every flag mm-hmm. player actually, actually plays tackle, but just about every tackle player plays flag. So flag has always been there, but now there are more eyes on it, right? Like now the NFL flag is doing just these amazing things in the collegiate and high school space and youth football space. Now there are just more eyes on flag. But it's, it's been like that since 
since I can remember that after our tackle season, you maybe rest a month or so, but you just go and play flag. Or you even play flag during the tackle season just to say, I don't know, say whatever. I wouldn't do it because my body would be hurting. Like, I would do stupid stuff on the football field, and there's no way I would ever play tackle and flag at the same time. But some players do it. Um, but it's been it's been like that. Um, now it's just more eyes on it. And now, like you said, the WNFC, the WNFA, the WFA, uh, see the writing on the wall, and they're just taking this opportunity to, I mean, they're doing, they're being smart about their business. They're taking their opportunity to get their own flag teams and, and really to create a farming system almost um, mm-hmm. from flag to tackle. But I think what they're going, what they will see is what I've, what I like I've told NFL flag it's two different sports it's not at all they're not it's it's football but it's completely two completely different sports not everybody who's in love with flag is going to want to play tackle football because it's so much slower it's less finesse it's a lot slower flag is much faster it's a it's a, a it's a finesse game I mean especially as a skill and player. then the levels Except the levels of intrigue in flag, sometimes I think will sway people there because you do five on fives, right? You do, uh, you know, yep. seven on sevens, you do nine on nines. There's just different variations that may cater to somebody, right? If, if it's a, a, a yep. faster person, maybe you want to do fives instead of, instead of wanting to do 11s, right? And things like that. So, and then the cost, <laughs> ultimately the cost is what probably sways people too, because, you know, in tackle, you got to come up with some sort of uh, a budget. Where in flag, yep. it's basically accumulation of team play, teammates, and it's the you know the entry fee is not as big when you have a, a bunch of, you know a bunch of folks together with it. No, you're absolutely right. And then you think of equipment for flags. You just come. You might pay for your uniforms, um, and then you you go get some cleats. And the coaches already have flags, so what else is there to really pay for? Right? Like you don't have to put on 15 extra pounds of anything you can see the whole field you don't have to put on that heavy helmet no matter how cool it looks there's a huge like um there's a huge transition that has to happen from not wearing helmets to wearing a helmet like even when I was training receivers we would do these moves and then I'd say all right go get your hat and put it on and you got to understand that you're going to have to work twice as hard and and over exaggerate movements because now you have a helmet on or a shoulder pad um mm-hmm. So as a skilled player, you love flag a lot more. It's faster. You can do a lot more with flag. Like maybe not after the catch because that's what I loved about tackle football. It was limitless after the catch. I can flip in the air if I wanted to. I can jump over you if I wanted to. Some flag leagues don't allow you to leave your feet, uh, that sort of thing. But um, but if you're a skilled player and you don't like to be constricted by helmets and, and, and shoulder pads and you get the full range of motion, you love flag. You know, and and you don't want to get hit. That's the biggest thing. A lot of people don't want to get hit. So, flag scratches that itch to score touchdowns and go up against some people. And they don't. It's not like they're gonna hit me in the end, right? Like, that's fine. I can run the slant without getting knocked out. Um. So now we have the the changeover where the scholarships are available for college and everything else. So, th- have you seen that excitement already with uh, some of the in just the conversation that you can go to a high school mentality, like on a floor in a Florida or a Texas and certain states and 
they're able to get that opportunity to to the a university, an actual college scholarship, right? Uh, you know, how does that? You know, how do you uh, like you stand there and you say that to them? I'm pretty sure that, that it gets you kind of excited too, right? For the fact that they're going to get an opportunity to to go to college. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so new though, and you have to introduce it to them. So the work mm-hmm. that's happening in Mississippi right now is kind of like there are uh, maybe there may be a girl or two that's playing on the boys' team in high school, and then it makes news, and then you don't hear anything about it. But now you you have to say, hey, there's this opportunity, and then they get they do get excited about it. Um, but since it's so new and they didn't know they could do it, now they have to learn this new sport. So there is a huge excitement. It's just a matter of getting it out there, right? And you just you have to market it more. You got to get it out there more. And when they find out, like, hey, I can go play flag and actually get a scholarship. Um, and, and I'm just going to say it, like basketball players are, are, are the best flag football players because basketball right. is finesse, it's fine movements, it's cutting, it's fit. They're, they're amazing flag football players, but you look but it's almost like you got to get them away from that sport to come play flag football so you can grow the sport. And so I think the excitement is definitely there. They just, it has to be just more marketed more so they can understand that, hey, you can come play flag. And, you know, and then parents, parents are honestly, if you sell the parents on it, the kids are already hyped up about it. You just oh, got to yeah, sell sure. parents on it. Yeah, you just got to sell parents on it. I, one of the, um, we were on the call today, and one of the uh, NFL flag folks was, was saying that a parent laughed at her in her face because she's like, wait, what? Like, they didn't, you got to under, you got to make parents understand because at the end of the day, these are major athletes, but they're also children. Right, sure. like the guys I deal with, they look like grown men, and then you sit them in front of a thirteen-year-old girl, and they can't even talk to her because these are not grown men; these are thirteen-year-old boys. So, you know, they're they're children. You just gotta if you sell the parents on it, the children are already there. They're they're gonna buy it yeah. a chance to go get a scholarship and flag. All right, uh, Steph, um, your book's still out. No more drops. The only football catching manual you'll ever need. So just yes. heads up for everybody out there. No more drops. You can get get it pretty much on Amazon. Pretty good value, uh, and you can get it. You know, go to follow Steph. Pretty much get you the link and everything else. So I hope it's doing wonderful. I don't know if it's selling off the shelves at this point, but it's a pretty nice book that you put together. Yes, 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 yes. It's it's a. I I was just like, okay, how can I just break this down for people? It's literally a four-step process to catching a football and never dropping another football. Like, if you ever look at a football being dropped, you can always point it back to four distinct things. And um, the first step is just to see it. Uh, it's eyes. The second step is hand, uh, hand placement. The third step is, as we say, take a picture of it, meaning like follow through follow through the catch. Just this this step happens in maybe a millisecond. And then the third, the last step is to secure it, to secure the ball, to secure the ball. I want to say the bag, my goodness. Uh, all these rap songs. <laughs> but, no, the uh, so it's, it's see it, uh, hand placement, take a picture, and then secure it. And so if you ever see a receiver drop a ball, no matter how good they are, it's always one of the four things. And so we just break it down, and then I break each step down. And so it was – it was fun. It's fun. It's colorful. 
I, I make it so elementary because that's how I look at life. Very complicated things. I just simplify them in a very, very elementary step, even a, a crazy football playbook, right? So, uh, yeah, you can get it. Uh, the link is in my bio. I am Steph Saxon uh, on Instagram. So the link is in my bio. Get it for somebody with butterfingers. Tell them they have butterfingers without telling them they have butterfingers, right? So, um, yeah, I'm it's really about cool. That. Um, it's a really cool manual. So, I mean, it's a really good read as well. So, it's a basic approach to, like you said, the fundamentals of it. So, it's really nice to yes. see. Um, so, I really, really appreciate you always making the time for us. I really, really do appreciate. I know you're busy all the time and you're on the go. So, I wish you continued success in 2022 and beyond. And always a pleasure to have you on and talk NFL flag with us. So I really appreciate that. Definitely. Thank you guys for having me. Um, listen, whenever y'all want to chat, let me know <laughs> or let my people know. Um, and I'm always excited to come on. And uh, you guys are just so respectful and just so insightful. And I love talking to you guys. So thank you very much. And y'all have a very good night. All right. Enjoy your stay in Mississippi, okay? Safe travels. Okay. All right, Mark. Uh, there we go. The Steph Jackson, NFL flag. Uh, pretty awesome. She's always on the go. So it's a Yeah, she's a busy lady. Interesting to see. I mean, I am, I'm not kidding. You could probably get a hold of Joe Biden before you can get a hold of her because I had to go through like three <laughs> or four people just to get a hold of her, you know, <laughs> secret service on, on her behalf. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, um, there's so much things. I like, like we were saying before. You know, I, I mean, flag is experiencing uh, uh, like exponential growth, right, um, on mm-hmm. all levels here in the United States, and you know, she's right in the thick of it. So um, there's there's no doubt that if she's uh, being kept very busy on the football front. Not to mention the fact that, you know, she's got a full-time job. Uh, she's traveling all over the place. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's great. It's really great to hear, though, um, everything that's happening in FLAG. And there's just so much. Um, you know, we, don't, we barely even cover, you know, uh, FLAG on the podcast, um, mostly through segments like this with people like Steph. Um, but I mean, that's <laughs> if we covered if we covered um, you know even um, you know just the collegiate flag. I mean, then now there's collegiate flag, there's pro flag leagues. Uh, you could set up a whole other bo- uh, podcast there, Oscar. How about it? Yeah, I don't think I have the time, Mark. But uh, that would be a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's kind of nice to see. Uh, some of the uh, evolution, right? The, it's evolving. You know, you had Dion. We had Dion Lee here uh, a couple podcasts as well, and we've had her in the past. And so it's kind of nice. I just want to bring everybody in, into like a real focus on the fact that this is kind of like the future of women's soccer football in a lot of ways, in terms of a feeder system and and bringing the attention to it, right? Um, and and putting that to, uh, putting it out there. And I think the tournaments, to her point, we have a lot more girls and women playing. Uh, flag football in terms of tournaments and a lot of the athletes that play in like I said before in the WNFC and WFA really hone their skills in terms of flag in terms of flexibility mobility 
you know, and things like that because the sport is more of a car- high cardio, high maintenance, and, you know, allows you techniques and stuff that you can bring to the tackle side, even though slower to her point, uh, it still would benefit you, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, for as long as I've been following the game, uh, flag and tackle for women have always been intertwined, right? Um, mm-hmm. The flag fields are, you know, probably where new recruits every year probably comes off of the a flag football field. Um, so, so yes, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. Um, and, you know, so ergo, the growth of flag uh, really can only benefit the women's tackle game. And as Steph pointed out, like, there's some people who are not going to be interested in, in, in tackle. Uh, and they're strictly flag for a lot of reasons. Um, and, but there are, there's still going to be that segment that's going to be attracted to tackle football. Um, you know, people want to, who want to hit people that they're always going to be there. So, uh, there will always be tackle football. Yeah, I know. And it's a niche for a lot of people, right? Uh, everybody finds their own, uh, realm of passion. And I think that's like she says, some people will sway from the tackle side because of the fact that they don't want to pay the cost, right? The cost for that, the upkeep, plus also sure. injuries, right? A lot more injuries in the sport in that sense. So they don't want to go through that traumatic effect as well. Uh, but ultimately they get into a situation where flag is more of an alternative and, you know, they sway from that. So I think the high school level part of it is exciting because now we're actually going to get some sort of attraction going and then making the college, you know, uh, make it grow, I think will be better. And even for the women's tackle side. So uh, let's bring in the salty one here, and we're going to be diving into the NFL. So, uh, Mark, I really appreciate it coming on here and giving us your insights perspective. And then I think we had a pretty good time with uh, 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 Lindsay DiCariangelo and uh, Steph Jackson. So pretty cool. Absolutely. It's been great being on, and um, uh, we'll have a lot more international scores next week to report on. And think at least a couple of championship games yeah it's gonna be awesome all the five for sure right and the gridiron west going into week six and then ultimately queen's football league we'll see what the um the results are there in terms of who's going to go in the final um so i'm trying to figure that out right now i did message uh, the owner and figure out like you said that will there be the point differential or, or how that's going to pan out but uh we'll keep tabs on queen's football league for the finals there Congratulations again to the Vienna Vikings in Austria for their championship. And then uh, so we'll look forward to the finals of La Fai in Mexico. All right. Thanks, Oscar. Have a great night, Mark. Thank you again. Night. All right. Uh, Mackenzie. Oscar, Are you on? what's up? Uh, I got my ass whooped on Monday. That's what's up. Freaking embarrassing. <laughs> Could not believe that crap. Just embarrassing. You should have seen me after the first six minutes of this game. I told my wife, is this a rerun of the Titans game? Oh, my God. And then I'm like, against the Niners of all teams that I hate? No way. But Holly was happy. So I guess can't be too angry, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. 
it tickled me. <laughs> you ain't gonna no, lie. You ain't lying, woman. I bet you, you were laughing your head off. <laughs> Look, I'm just gonna keep it a, a buck one hundred with you. Oh my god, um, I was mad. Y'all got the, I was like mad at McVay. I was throwing crap at the screen. I was like, "What the f bull are you?" He's shoving it down your throat and you can't shield it. I was so mad. You know, and just it just it, it tickled me because between you and and, and the backseat coach. Coach Terry Lister, okay, and everybody in our chat, and then some some other Rams fans that I know, it just it it tickled me to see y'all kind of upset. I mean, it didn't tickle me as much as it would have if Green Bay was lost. But well, Coach was um, upset because his Browns got whipped pretty, too. So we were whipped. Oh yeah, okay? you, you know, were the only one that didn't get I was whipped. Extra giggly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was. I was the old, I was I was extra giggly. I ain't even gonna lie to you. Um, and it was kind of a great feeling. However, you know. With, with Dallas beating the Falcons, I mean, it is just the Falcons. The, the Falcons up until this week have been pretty decent. You know, they have they have a little bit of a winning record. I mean, well, now they're five and four or four and five, rather. But coming into the Dallas game, they were four and four. And I'm like, okay, like maybe they'll put up, you know, a formidable fight. And then Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb just playing, playing catch with one another, just toying around with this defense. It's all in Mari Cooper or Michael Gallup. Mac, and people must have forgotten who Michael Gallup was. Only good thing about the whole thing is because I had him, Lamb, up there, uh, and I had him on my on my FanDuel place. So I'm not complaining. I made money. Thank you, Zach Prescott and City Lamb. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it, – it, this is – I don't know how you say it, but this Atlanta team, they thought they were going to come in and just kind of just, you know, on a little streak here. But, uh, you know, Dallas uh, – even after that Denver game, I, I think they they've turned it around, right? Like you said, consistency here, starting to, the offense is starting to gel. Well, and, right, right. Well, and, and my thing is, is I was telling people during this game, I said this game's going to start off a little slow, it's gonna, which is exactly how it is. Start off a little slow, and then bang, first touchdown, Dak Prescott to Sidney Lamb. Then Trey Diggs gets an interception. Uh, God, who uh, somebody else gets an interception. So it's just like really at this point, at that point for me, I was like, well, maybe this is not going to be a trap game like I thought. Because I took Dallas I took Dallas by 10 just because it was at home and we were mm-hmm. coming off a loss. I knew that we were going to win, but I didn't think we were going to win by no 40 damn points. That's for sure. Uh, that was not something I had projected happening. So um, thank you, Dallas Cowboys, for saving me again. And thank you for uh, uh, all the other teams for uh, – Making giving me a little little tickle this week, um, you know. It's not not not, not happy on the West Coast. Just so you know, we're not happy on the West Coast. Maybe Holly's <laughs> happy on the West Coast because she flew home with a glee and happiness after getting you know getting mm-hmm. beaten down. I don't know what it is, Mac, but these Rams uh, and McVeigh they can't seem to get up for this rivalry game. It's like a one sided spanking. And you would think they would get up for this rivalry game. They get up more for Seattle than anything. But they uh, against the Niners, oh, it just irks me because I'm right here in the Bay, and i got to hear it every two games of the year. Just pains me. Oh, my God. And I even turned off his press conference because I knew he was going to say that. Oh, I think we just got beat. You got beat, bro? No, you got spanked. You didn't get beat. You got spanked. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, shut your mouth. I was like, I'm so – I didn't even want. I didn't even want to watch his press conference. 
That's how bad it was. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. You didn't make adjustments when you needed to. You got outplayed in the first half. You're getting the ball shoved down your throats. This defense is not coming through. I mean, it's just it was a it was a joke. I mean, I really really a joke. I, I think if you're talking NFL perspective as an analyst, I think the blueprint on how to beat the, the Rams completely and decisively was made by the, by the Titans and Kyle, uh, Kyle Shanahan just formulated it and, and perfected it because he really just put a spanking on them. You know, and, and it's funny because, I mean, it, it's it's always sucky when you lose, no doubt. It don't matter. College, NFL, women, you know, flag, middle school, Madden, fantasy leagues. It, it, it does, it's not fun when you lose. Uh, however, it's fun for me. Uh, but to the Patriots' credit, Matt Jones has been balling his ass off. I just mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I don't know what Bill Belichick is feeding them over there in Patriot Land. But Matt Jones is Matt Jones out here looking like he's been playing for two, three, four, five seasons, and he's a rookie. That's scary to even think but about. Matt, you called it uh, like a couple weeks ago. You said this is this, this is a systematic quarterback, right? You said Tom Brady two point and it's starting to evolve that way. I did say that. You're not incorrect, but and and you know, and as, as much as I love to give Coach Lister and, and other Browns fans hell um, because they're Browns fans and like that's just kind of weird to me. Anyway, um, like they have had struggles. You know, Nick Chubb is out, Baker Mayfield's out. They had who's their back? Who's uh, Case Keenum? Like he, I don't think he's had a real time snap since he played for Minnesota. So, and it's kind of like, it was kind of like the situation with, with, with Cooper Rush down in Dallas. You know, Dak was out for that one game um, against Minnesota. And we, and to be honest, we should have lost that game. I'm not even going to lie to you. We should have lost that game. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, Cooper Rush decided, like, look, I need to solidify myself as a formidable second string. And that's what the hell he did. So, I can't even be mad. I can't even be mad. I just, I really wish the Rams and the Browns had more of a formidable second string. I don't know what I don't know what to tell you after this two weeks of these two weeks of horrible losses, but bro, just the, just the buy coming at this time was just right on point. But if he if they come off the buy and they get they get start, they start rolling off, man, is I mean, McVay's going to lose it. This fan base is expecting a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? They, 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 you can't not pull that kind of performance. You know what I mean? And especially in a, in a division game. So I feel, I, I feel for him, but at the same time, I'm like, hey, bro, you, you, you need to just, you know, he always says it starts with me with better play calling. Uh, that, that, that excuse is done. <laughs> it's called get the shit done. Get the job done. You got enough talent. You got enough weapons. You picked up. You know how many people we picked up, and to have Odell Beckham not even get what two targets—it's stupid football. That's what we're well, talking that's what, about. That's what I'm trying to figure out. So you—that's what—that's what I understand. So y'all pick up OBJ off away, you know, off waivers from the Browns, and y'all activate him right away, and then give no, him but two targets. Even the then, Matt, you you telling me you couldn't put this guy in the red zone? Come on, a red well, that's zone? That's what I'm saying. Like, like, y'all gave him He's two more targets, like. That's kind of dis- yeah. that's kind of disrespectful. It is. It's ridiculous. I mean, all I'm going to say is it pains me to get beat by the Niners. It reminds me of the 1990s when we were getting 
beaten out big time. And to this day, I would rather lose the whole season and have two wins, and those two wins come against San Francisco. That's how, that's how passionate I would be as a, as a Ram fan, you know what I mean? Not to lose to the Niners. You know, that's almost like you not well, wanting yeah. to lose to, like, the Redskins. You know what I mean? That kind of deal. I don't got time for Yeah, I, I got the time, but not for that. Um, yeah, no, that, that's not a thing. And speaking yeah. of, you know, the Washington football team, they suffered a huge loss in losing Chase Young to that torn mm-hmm. ACL. That, but I mean, they did. They pulled off the W. They beat the goat, the soup, you know, defending Super Bowl champions. They beat them and put them to sit. Was they're seven and three, Went six and three now. King out there, um, and uh, sorry, Coach Lowry Locus. <laughs> but you get the picture yeah, right there. There, sorry, the Coach Low. So you know, and it's 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 crazy to me to think that like how dominant. Tampa Bay was, and I think they're kind of experiencing some Super Bowl hangover, just like Kansas City was. And and Kansas City is slowly coming back on, you know, coming back to what we know them, you know, what we've known and seen them to be. Um, but it's just for me, it's just like okay, Washington, who is at the bottom of my division, and or I guess tied for tied for second, tied for third in my division, and then you you go to Tampa Bay and beat the, you beat the Super Bowl champions by twelve points. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a good game. I mean, they played a good game on that. So, um, do you think, uh, uh Max? Do you think the uh, the the Mike White backup uh, thrill in uh, Green Gangrene is over now? I think it's no more no more Magic Mike. It's pretty much off Mike now. Four interceptions and a forty-five to seventeen loss to the Bills. So I think uh, I think his hype is over. It was just that one week win. You know, I'm not. I'm gonna give. I'm I'm gonna give Mike White another chance because Zach Wilson is still out, um, and they don't really have another option, at least to my knowledge. And I think it's kind of just like I said. It's kind of just like you know who's going to be the formidable second string, you know, QB when their name when their name when their name and number is called. Mike White was that guy for, you know, his first, you know, that first week. And then we turn around and then you suffer a tough one to the Bills. But to the Bills, they are a well-oiled machine, and they have been for the past two or three seasons. So, you know, you you got to give credit where credit is due, but you also kind of have to give benefit of the doubt where it's due as well. And, and the Jets are kind of in that situation. You lose Sam Darnold, he goes to the Panthers. Then Sam Darnold gets hurt, and then you bring back Cam Newton, who was lighting up the freaking world. Holy balls. I'm talking like he ran into the end zone talking about some I'm back. And I was like, see, that's what I love to see. Like, you get traded, then you play a season with the Patriots. That didn't go over well. Then they release you. Then they pick something. Your old team picks you up on waivers because their new phenom QB gets hurt. Then you're back in the saddle where you were. It all started the first time. You, you, you know, you get Christian McCaffrey back off of injury the same week that you come. So that's, if you're a, a, that's a huge... If you're a Cardinals fan, you were almost hugging a Rams fan this weekend. You know what I mean? That's just the way it was mm-hmm. on that side of the ball. Because, you know, the, 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 the Panthers played almost as good as the Niners played against the Rams. It was just that kind of, uh, that kind of game. Yeah, it was, very, it was very intriguing to watch. To be honest, it was it was very intriguing 
for me to watch that Panthers game as I'm sitting, you know, sitting with my with my fantasy people, and we're all watching the game, looking at our slates and everything. And I'm like, I'm like, is Cam Newton like really, really back? You know, he he runs it for a touchdown, passes for a touchdown, or passes for two. And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess you could say Superman is back for now. Um, and I think I think the change in coaching staffs for him or head coaches for him was what needed to happen. He needed to get away from Carolina you know, take that season to rebuild, help, to kind of help rebuild himself. Because it almost looked like when he got back to Carolina, it's almost like he never left. Yeah, it, it just seemed that way, right? That this, this past Sunday, it seemed like, you know, we were, we were riding him off already. And this week, it's like we're, it's back like the, you know, kind of memory lane when he was playing, you know, Super Bowl type, um, you know, play. So, uh, I mean, it's good for him, I guess, you know, considering where he was at a year ago. And I think this team is better because he's got the complimentary of McCaffrey. And McCaffrey needs that, too, because you can't just wear down one individual, you know? Right. Well, and that, that's the other thing that, I, that, you know, that I was getting to, is that you know, with, when Sam Darnold was back there, he didn't have C-Mac. He didn't have CMC. So it was kind of him and, you know, second string and then – you know, whichever receivers that they had. Uh, I can't really think of any notable ones right now, right off the top of my head. But it was kind of the Sam Darnold show for a little for a little bit. And then, unfortunately, Sam Darnold gets hurt, and then they bring back Cam Newton. So, I mean, I, and I wonder when Sam, when, when Sam Darnold comes back off injury, if, you know, if they're going to have another quarterback competition or if they're going to have him as that second string, that second stringer. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question because that's going to be a kind of a situation where, you know, do you stick with Cam or do you you know and you bench Darnold at this point? Uh, if he comes up with a couple this this week and next week, and I, I think you'll they'll ride with him. Um, Mac, despite losing Henry, these Titans are eight and two now. They have the league best six game winning streak, one and a half game over the Bills and the Ravens. Uh, both Bills and Ravens sliding right now in the AFC. Um, and then without Henry, they take down the Rams. We're supposed to be high-powered. And now, you, now, I mean, you guys start looking at Tennessee as, as a real contender here. Well, and to be honest, we should have been looking at Tennessee as a contender the entire time, uh, even, up in, even up until Derrick Henry got hurt. Um, because King Henry is going to be King Henry. He's he, that's what he does. He's going to run through people, run over people, run around people, jump over people, and he's going to score the ball. That's what he does. That's what he's known for. And the fact that he has Ryan Tannehill, who is basically, you know, the two of them together is a freaking tandem. It, it's kind of scary, actually, when you uh, actually think about it. But now that Tannehill doesn't have, you know, doesn't have King Henry, and he's got, he's got AP back there kind of changes the game because they're two different they're two different types of running back but they're still it's still getting the job done you know it's it, ap is still doing what he does best no right exactly and but you know they, they're doing it quietly they're not making fanfare nobody's really saying oh my god look at the titans no they're just kind of like taking at ease and going forward with it um but i mean this is what you got to do it once they get henry back it could the difference maker right there. I mean, we got seven weeks left in the season. You you have him heal up, 
and you get them ready for the playoffs, and if they can stay the course, man, this Titans team is going to be one of the uh, one of those teams that even Kansas City is going to have to face if they start getting rolling here. Well, see, and that's what I'm to be honest. That's kind of what I'm hoping for is to see a Titans team to the playoffs with a fresh off surgery and 98, 87% recovered King Henry uh, in the backfield. Now, I think as far as having King Henry come back that soon, I guess depending on how how rigorous that foot surgery was to be determined, but I think even with having AP in the back in, in the backfield, running running the power spots, running the you know coming out of the backfield and catching those passes, just like Derrick Henry does. I don't think they should. I be honest, I don't think they should miss the playoffs if they keep doing what they're doing. But they, you know, they're, they're kind of like they're their sleeper team is like what I like to call them. They're they're a dark horse. You know, they can come out of nowhere and beat beat your ass, or they can come out of nowhere and get their ass beat. It just yeah depends mm-hmm. on how they play. Correct. Um, this atrocious tie game. So it, we won't we won't have an zero <laughs> seventeen team in twenty twenty one. So thank you, the Steelers and the Lions for stumbling, you know, and basically it was like a, nobody wanted to win this game. 15 penalties, three Pittsburgh turnovers, 24 combined failures to convert on third down, even the Detroit kicker missing a point after, uh, a 48-yard 48, field goal try in overtime as well. I mean, what a screwed-up game. I mean, you look, and I, I was caught, I ain't going to lie, I was pulling for the Lions to get a to get a W, and they just they just couldn't do it, couldn't do it. And I'm just like, man, the Lions can't win nothing this season. I mean, I guess a tie is better than having another L. I feel bad record, for but... Jared Goff <laughs> because it's not getting better. They can't even get a win. They can't get a field goal. For... I mean, I just start feeling bad for this guy. I mean, it's just yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Well, and, and, and for me, it's, it's the way that Detroit uses their tight end, which irritates my life because, you know, my guy is T.J. Hawkinson. That's my dude. I love me some freaking T.J. Hawkinson. Um, that, 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 oh, my God. He just, I just, I just love whenever he gets yeah. a target, even if he don't catch it, even if it's overthrown. I'm just like, y'all need to be throwing to him more. Like, he's damn near a wide receiver. He's big enough. He's quick yeah. enough. He has one of the best hands in football. The I think there's, there's there, only Matt, two other is, tight ends. Your point, really bad. The playbook there is really bad. They're not using their strength. You know, they're not using their players to their strength. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's. I don't know if it's going to take a year for them to realize what they need to do with that, but they have talent there in Detroit. They just, it's just not coming together. Um, before we get out of here, well, see don't forget to go to Mike before we get out of here, don't forget to go Mike and I fight. Use the code NGF and get your $5 free play. Go ahead, Mac. No, sorry. I was just saying what, what's going to happen is TJ Hawkinson, I believe this coming season, so 2022 season, is on his, the, you know, the, the final stretch of his rookie contract. Somebody's going to mess around and take him up. from them, and they're going to regret it. Um, oh, yeah. Like I said, there was, there's only two other tight ends in the league to my – well, if a three, if I'm going to – I'll put Zach Ertz in there. But there's only two other tight ends in my book that are better than TJ Hawkinson. And ironically, both of them went to Iowa. And one of them happens to be George Kittle, who plays for Holly's 49ers. And the other one happens to be Noah Fant, who 
graduated the same year from Iowa with TJ Hawkinson. Those are the only three others that are better or equally as good as TJ Hawkinson. And they're on for those three are on formidable teams. Zach Ertz just came yeah. from the Eagles to Arizona, has been lighting it up. GK got drafted to the 49ers, has been there. Same thing with North State and the Broncos, and the same thing with TJ Hawkinson when they know how to use the playbook. So, no, yeah, you you got a big point there. I mean, key players, if they don't use them, then, you know, why are you even, you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, let's go into Thursday night. Before we get out of here, we got about three minutes. Uh, New England will take on Atlanta. I believe this would be a New England win for me. They've been playing pretty well. Atlanta, uh, I mean, they came off that loss this past week. I mean, just, they don't look very good. Um, who are you taking, New England, Atlanta? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take Tom Brady 2.0 and Mac Jones over there. Yep. Um, so am I over there in New England. I mean, it's kind of to me that's kind of a, a self-explanatory win. Um, but like I said, you know, stranger things have happened on Thursday night, Sunday night football, Monday night football. So well, we're Pitts see, and Patterson, like and Ryan, said, it should be a. They got to get their act together mm-hmm. if they want if they really want to win this game because they, they haven't got it together yet. So uh, I'm thinking that's going to be the case. Um. Pittsburgh, I know what Terry Lister is going to know, tell us, that he doesn't go for Pittsburgh. So they're taking on the Chargers. Uh, I think Herbert wins this out. I think Pittsburgh's in uh, in a slide right now. Uh, I think I, gotta, I have to agree with you. I'm going to take Herbie by 15. Yeah, I don't. I, I agree with you there. I think it's going to be big. Um, the Giants against Brady, um, one loss. Uh, I think uh, I think Tampa Bay rebounds here. Uh, you know what? I don't think Tampa Bay is gonna rebound. I'm gonna take. I'm just. I'm. This is where I'm gonna be. Well, I'm, of course, I'm gonna get a lot of flack. It's gonna be fine. Great, whatever. I normally always root against the Giants, except for this game. Just like I normally always root against Washington, except for the game they play Tampa Bay. And I'm only saying that because Dallas should only have one win, right, or one loss right now. And right. Unfortunately, our first loss was to Tampa Bay in the very first week by two points. It wasn't no ass kicking. Mm-hmm. It wasn't none of that. It was just, you know, Greg Gerlai missed a field goal. And he was three weeks out of post right. Either way, no excuses. In L is an L. I'm taking the Giants by 10. All right, so you're taking Giants. I think uh, Tampa Bay rebounds. We're both taking the Chargers, and uh, we're both taking New England. So Thursday night, New England. So we'll see what it turns out, but uh, it's been pretty fun. This was, this was a kind of like a – a crappy week for me personally because of my team losing and getting spanked. But overall, uh, I'm kind of excited that the bye week's here because I don't get to lose next week. But uh, so uh, for Mac, for the salty one, for the absent Nate Ward, Terry Lister, and for thanks for uh, Mark Simone to come in here and the absent Holly Custis who's traveling happy home. Uh, Oscar Lopes here. We'll see you here next week for the Big 400 reunion. 400 episodes of the podcast next week. Be here. So catch you next week. Have a great night, everybody. ...is the fastest-growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy-to-play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50.